Hello, good evening, welcome to another episode of Believe Rugby Banter. It's the usual crew. We've got Andrew and Phil. Phil's yet again in the dark. You just have the worst load sheds schedules of all time, Phil. Yeah, I think every it seems like it's eight o'clock to ten o'clock in the in the week way too often. Last week it was ten to twelve. Um I hate it. It sucks. But you know, yeah, not such a bad time to do a podcast. You don't really need to be able to see to talk. Yeah, that's no fair enough. I mean you don't really need to be able to do much to be able to talk. Um, especially about rugby um at our level. <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> it looks like the lights are up on on, on Jovic. You you doing well up there? Is the is the water on? The water came back on yesterday. Uh the electricity also came on yesterday after forty hours out. So I mean our, our main economic hub is falling apart. The roads are blowing up with gas explosions. Um, it's uh, life is interesting up in the urban jungle. I was going to ask if the roof is, roof is still on. Did you have another earthquake this weekend? <laughs> yeah, um, the next earthquake will be the Springboks at uh, Ellis Park. So, well, what's called Emirates Park now? So uh, we can call it Ellis Park. I think yeah. We don't, we don't have any sponsorship uh, requirements on the pod. <laughs> no, Touching it very quickly, can you believe Colby's never played there for the Springboks? Crazy, eh? Weird. Pretty crazy, yeah. Well, I can't actually imagine he's played that many tests on South African soil. I mean, just in, gen- COVID numbers. And in, yeah, general, just in general, his cap's tally is not particularly high. But this is, of course, also yeah. going to be the last game in South Africa before they head out. So for all the old guys, it's possibly their last game in, uh, playing at home as well. True. Yeah, we'll roll through the list and <clears throat> say our farewells to them when we get to that game. Um, but to start off with, we've got a little bit of transfer news or untransfer news. Um, Marnie LeBoc has resigned, sorry, re-signed with uh, the Stormers. Um, I'm still struggling to read Andrew's reaction to that, whether it's positive or negative. No, I, I just, I had a miniature heart attack when Phil posted that because I read it as resigned and I thought, what the hell? Like, what? Marnie Lubbock's like our star backline player. Like, I know we're getting Warwick Galant back, but that doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And then I realized he meant re-signed. Um, so that, I mean, that's great news for the Storms. I'm sure his signature was being, uh, looked for from clubs all over the world. So yeah, great that he's served the Storms. I'm happy. I mean, he was being lined up to replace Finn Russell at um, Race Metro. So, uh, definitely the big dogs were, were chasing him. Um, but you did mention that um, inspiration extraordinaire, Colan's uh, also moving back to the Stormers. Um, we shared a couple of his tweets this week. Phil, do you, have, do you feel inspired after seeing his very um, product placement inspirational <laughs> shots? I don't know if uh, inspired is the right word. More just generally confused and uh, not sure how to react to it. It's a bit of a strange one. Um, just his, yeah, his social media in general. But uh, I think it's a pretty good signing for the Stormers, even though, you know, don't know. We haven't seen him in a Springbok jersey for a while. It's at Super Rugby level. I'm sure he'll rip it up. It'll be interesting if you're playing Super Rugby for the for the Stormers. Um, I'm not Actually. sure how we're going to manage that. <laughs> um, I'm st- I'm stuck do, do you think he's going to replace um, new Stormers backline rock, uh, Clayton Blomikis? I think it's very possible. Um, as far as I remember, Clayton Blomikis wasn't always first choice even uh, this past season. So, yeah, they have some 
options at least there. Uh, I think Blomakis is also not exactly a spring chicken anymore. So yeah, I'm sure, I, I imagine he'll fit right in at 15. And how old can you be with a haircut that like that? Though? Like how old are you allowed to be and still ask for that? He's 32. He should know better. I mean, <laughs> I mean, my favorite person to pick on Elton Yankees is a prime example of this. Yeah, no, they, they're the same age, just boring. Like people should should learn. <laughs> um, but, but on the, the the on the front of Phil's favorite players going to different um, teams, Jordan Hendricks uh, is rumored to be leaving the Lions and heading to the Sharks to join his brother Jaden. Um, yeah, Phil, is that a, another nail in the Lions coffin? Um, yeah, I I think so. Uh, like pretty much. When we discuss the Lions, the only major positives in the last season or two has been the number of young players coming through and the hopeful thought of keeping them together and building a really strong team in a few years. So having one of the strongest uh, bat, uh, players of that young batch leave is not ideal, and especially in such a pivotal position like Flyhalf. Um, I think it's been on the cards, especially like you said, he's joining his brother. And I think Jaden is part of the whole, um, rock nation setup as well. So, um, I think they're, they're all like same. I'm sure they have the same agent and all that good stuff. So not a huge shock, but still very, very disappointing. And I think, um, I think Andrew may have mentioned in some of our WhatsApp chats, it's not like the sharks don't have a lot of fly help options he's going to have a lot of competition there whereas you know lions um still have gianni lombard but i feel like hendrix at the lions is pretty much guaranteed first choice yeah i mean between bosch and then you signing yeah and i've forgotten the surname from the cheetahs as well as um chamberlain and put chamberlain i mean that's a lot of guys that are stacked that can all play kind of 10 15 um who would you think of the first choice partnerships there, Andrew? Uh, I, I love the idea just from that rugby 08 team chemistry point of view, having the two brothers playing in halfbacks, uh, that would be uh, really, really cool. Uh, Kerwin Bosch, I think, needs to move on. Butter Chamberlain is a faithful servant of the Sharks brand, and I don't think Siamasuga is quite there yet. So I, w- I would say uh, Jordan goes straight in. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably agree, but I think lot, um, <clears throat> Bosch has signed another couple of year agreement, um, signed through for another decent until 2025, 26, I think, which is very strange. I mean, we've been punting you should head overseas for ages because I think it would just be good for his game. I don't see him developing and growing no. here. Yeah. And they still um, have Bassi at fullback, of course. So, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> even for, if you shift one of those guys to fullback, they still have to play ahead of Fussy. So lots of options, but it's probably a good problem for the Sharks to have. Does Hendrickson and Hendrickson yeah. outplay Yankees and Yankees? I think so. <laughs> as, as surname brotherly combinations go. <laughs> I don't think there's a Yankees uh, relation, is there? No, but just in terms of surnames. It would be enough to give them chemistry on Rugby 8, let's be honest. Yeah, it would. But in, in real life, both of those Yankees are terrible. <laughs> I, was, I, was tr- I was trying to think of a fly half called Williams to go with Grant, but uh, one didn't come to, the, to my mind straight away. 
even in Scotland or Wales or something. <laughs> like, um, like a Ross Cronier and Lionel Cronier. Or just Ross Cronier and Guy Cronier. That worked yeah. pretty well too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> relation, yeah. That would be very confusing for commentators. Um, but yeah, Phil, would you have said that, that um, a beacon of light is going out at the Lions with the leaving of Hendrickson? Uh, no, not quite. I mean, it is, like I said, it's not ideal, but they have re-signed um, a lot of the other young players, which we've spoken about. Um, so I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think that uh, Emmanuel Shatuka is the only other one who's probably on the way out, which sucks because he had a really good season last year. Um, but there are still a lot of good young players coming through. Um, we've spoken a lot about guys like Henko van Beek and Ruan Fenter. So... It might just not. It might just need a bit more patience, and with that comes the possibility that these guys are just going to leave in a year or two anyway. But um, yeah, it's part of the fun of being a Lions fan. Huh? Well, you did ruin my um, segue a little bit because I was going to say, see, speaking of beacons, um, <laughs> one of the tallest African lighthouses has is returning to our shores. Uh, Andres Becker has signed with the Bulls in a very ambiguous um, statement. Uh, I think. I at least was, was very shocked that he was still playing. Um, but it turns out he's returning as a coach uh, to join their coaching setup. Wait, is he still um, playing? Is he re- was he I, still playing? I don't know. Like, how old is he? He's, he could still like be he's playing. Still he's 39. Uh, immediately when you when you posted that photograph of Andres Becker to the Bulls, I mean, it was a photo of him playing rugby. So I don't think it's like unfair to assume that they were saying he's coming as a player. It wasn't like him in a Bucket hat like Laurie Fisher uh, to do <laughs> your next segue. Uh, he's thirty nine. Like, yeah, I don't know when he was last playing, but it wasn't. He Japan, announced so... his retirement in January twenty eighteen. Okay, sure. Oh, but wow. he was playing in Japan, so he didn't really have to do much. <laughs> he just had to hold the ball above his head, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like Archias Naaman before Archias Naaman did it. Mm. It's actually <laughs> kind of. I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page now. How many first class games do you reckon he played? Many. Uh, I don't know. Was he injured a lot? Yeah, he had knee issues. I think like every giraffe has knee issues. <laughs> sure. How many? Tell us, well, and put of our misery. This is me doing some very quick maths, but around two hundred odd, Jeez. which is not good on a <clears throat> on a on a fourteen year career. No, yeah, that's that sounds like a proper giraffe. It was like 30, 38 games for Province, 42 games for the Quebec Steelers and Japan, and 100 games for the Stormers, 30 Springbok caps. Like, yeah. Those are yeah, relatively low numbers. I'm surprised. Um, it's like, like Eben, Eben without the international caps, I think. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good uh, try scoring ratio, though. Um, 12 tries in 38 games for Province, and 14 tries in 42 games for, for Kobe. So, yeah, maybe there is something. Do it as you say, just put his um, ball above his head and things. Because it's his, his um, Wikipedia page does say, despite his large physique, he is blessed with mobility and pace. Um, <laughs> they probably see. need to change the word current in front of Springbok squad, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's um, got a lot of tries for the Stormers, I think, if I remember, too. He's quite a good fantasy player in our Super Rugby days. Yeah. Um, but that moves on. That that kind of wraps up. I think the the major transfer news, at least that I'm news that I'm aware of. I mean, we could mention that Har- Marcus Smith has resigned in with Harlequins instead of moving to France. 
then half of the And you just muted yourself. <laughs> he hates Marcus Smith that much. Um, half the Australian squad signing short-term deals with France to be jokers uh, for the World Cup, um, including Alwyn Jones. Uh, he's also popping across to get some cash, I think, to, to ride out the Welsh um, cash problems. Um, but I think the, 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 there was actually some rugby played over the weekend. Um, the, the B League under-20s tournament is going on. Obviously, France smashing everybody in the the A-League. Um, the B-League, though, has got some interesting names in it, and there's been some very interesting results there. Um, obviously, the, the winner of that team going up to the, the A-team. So, Phil, Andrew, do you guys want to run us through the results that's been happening over there? Um, yeah, so in, in the semifinals, we had a bit of a potentially shock. I, I mean, it was a shock to us for sure, um, with Uruguay beating Scotland 37-26. So we all, I think, presumed that Scotland would win the tournament and swap places with Japan, but they lost to Uruguay. So Uruguay will be facing Spain, who beat Samoa in the other semifinal. So one of Uruguay and Spain who will play in the final, will then join the major tournament, the URC. I, I think this one's called the Trophy and the other one's called the Championship or some silly naming convention. Um, but next, <laughs> for, for next year, whether it'll be back in the Western Cape, which will be cool. Um, yeah, and a massive, massive for whichever one of those two teams qualifies, given that um, they've never been in the top before. I'm sure Paul Tate is losing his absolute mind that the Latin countries are once again proving that their development pathways are being invested in are producing talent and yet the uh, island teams just get handed ex All Blacks. <laughs> and the fact that Scott- Spain is beating Samoa is ridiculous. Yeah. And like, Sc- I mean, Scotland are usually one of the biggest culprits of trying to find young players with Scottish like grandparents from, you know, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. So then obviously something's going wrong there in their youth setups uh, to not be yeah. able to get up. But that's the thing is it's not a recent trend. That's why they've had to be, you know, scrape the Scotland have been scraping every other nation for talent because the youth systems don't work. And, you know, the Scotland nations have just got a free pass from world rugby to just not bother because they were like, oh, well, we can just wait until a whole bunch of ex-All Blacks stop playing for the All Blacks and we'll just pick them up anyway. And I mean, it was, it was at the Samoa squad of the last World Cup, which had two out of 30 homegrown players or something stupid like that. Yes, you know, it's, yeah. it's just, it's a, such a slap in the face for the other teams because, you, you know, Uruguay aren't getting players from anywhere. So their only option is to self-develop in the same Spain and they're obviously doing it. They're investing in it. But, you know, World Rugby just handing out these free passes to everyone else just forced, you know, Gives them an excuse not to develop themselves. Um, and, and, you know, Uruguay, Spain, Italy are showing that you can do it internally by investing in your underlying systems. Georgia, um, you know, they got some really good results at the, the, the senior under 20 or the A League championship, whatever, under 20 tournament. You know, so there's the whole thing. If you give someone handouts, they're just not going to bother putting in the work themselves. Um, so yeah, I would be very, I would, I, yeah. Have ranted on this before, and I'll continue to rant on it because that, that does lead into some of the, the other games of the weekend, which is Samoa stacked with ex All Blacks beating Japan. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, so, so while they, the bees, their, their junior sides are getting crushed on by Spain, they're just, you know, walking their way back into the top 10. Yeah. Japan are not exactly innocent of, um, you know, playing only Japanese developed players themselves. They have quite a lot of Islanders, but also some ex New Zealanders. I think Dylan Riley was playing 13 for them, who's very much an Australian born and bred player. So, you know, Samoa might be doing it, but others are doing it too. So it's part no, of the rules, mean, Japan, I don't get off the hook either. But to an extent, at least they're taking reject players, just like, I mean, half of the Scottish guys. You know, they're taking players that were never in the national systems of other teams, giving them a second chance, and through their own persistence, they're happening to make it. You know, a guy like Duhan, like, I don't fault Duhan for doing that. Um, but there's a big difference to having, taking, you know, Christian Lilofano, who's like a 60-cap wallaby, and being like, oh, yeah, you can start a fly for us because you're not playing for the wallabies anymore. Um, you know, he was particularly if I was born, raised, played Australia his whole life. Like he's got absolutely nothing to do with the Samoan rugby system. Um, and so it's, it, it is, I do think there is a difference there with this new ruling. Um, just like Dylan Richardson playing for Scotland. Like that's ridiculous. Um, you know, there, well, there is a, there is a subtle difference between that and what Japan do. They're pretty much exclusively doing residency rules. I was just going to say, I think Dylan Richardson has still old rules, right? He's like qualified through grandparents or something rather than... Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he's got no okay. connection to Scotland, any other thing than like half a grandparent once laid a foot there. Like, And you've been also awfully quiet. Are so you just feeling guilty at the shade thrown at Scotland here? I'm just letting you have your, your podium, your soapbox for a while because... Uh... I feel like if I if I play devil's advocate, it's just going to make it worse, and we'll never get to the bot game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there'll be there'll be more than enough ranting at the World Cup. I mean, you know, if Ponga push us close or God forbid beat us, yeah. Um, I think we might, might have to schedule a three-hour episode for for my fury to be unleashed. Um, that being said. If this somehow allows Tonga to beat um, Scotland and Ireland and make the playoffs alongside South Africa, I mean, I'm not going to be totally against that outcome. <laughs> um, the other result, though, I think, was that Tonga lost to Fiji this weekend, right? Yeah. And Fiji certainly aren't benefiting from the, the new rules nearly as much, or, or even at all, I don't think. Has Fiji got any players back? From... I think that... I think they had Tamani Valu in their squads, but I don't think he played. And there was like one yes. or two other guys, but I don't think they were even, yeah. even being picked. So not really. Yeah. yeah. No, and, and so, I mean, you know, so that's, that actually, I, I really enjoyed seeing that result with that Fiji team, you know, because they le- do lean quite heavily on the, the Fijian and Rua team to produce a lot of their talent. I think that that's at least half their squad, um, you know, which is brilliant. Um, but there was some, Oh, sorry, and beating Tonga it was very cool. It's always nice to see Israel Falau lose. Um, but, but there is uh, the ugly French club system rearing its head again every World Cup cycle um, with quite a few uh, Fijian players announcing their withdrawal from the World Cup um, to focus on their, their club games. Uh, no doubt with a lot of you know pressure from the French clubs to, to not play. Um, what's your guys feeling on that situation? Uh, I don't like it. It's it's similar to a lot of the football setups these days where players are actually 
prioritizing club over country. To me, that's the wrong way around. Like your your club might pay the majority of your salary, but surely it's the, the highest honor to play for your country rather. Um, so it's a shame that that's being turned around and they're being pressured from from these French from these French super giant clubs. So yeah, I don't like it, but it's it's a reality, I guess. And when you coming from a island nation like Fiji and they're throwing euros at you in your contract, then it's a, it's a really difficult decision to make. Yeah, and particularly when a lot of those Fiji players, you know, they're not just supporting their families, supporting whole villages back home. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's you can understand they're making that decision completely. Uh, so I don't, I don't fault the players, but it's just it, it's really grubby, I think. The, the, the clubs are putting them in that position. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to know exactly. I mean, I think according to world rugby, like France are not allowed to do it. It's an international window. So, but of course we don't know what goes on behind the scenes in terms of those deliberations. Like we will tear your contract up if you don't withdraw from the World Cup. If it's that extreme or if it, even if it's just like, we'll give you a bit more money to do it, whatever way it's happening. It, it does leave a bit of a sour taste in your mouth. Um, like Andrew was saying, or you guys were saying, it's hard to criticize the players themselves. So it comes down to the French teams or whichever teams that might be doing it. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't think there's an easy way to get around it. Yeah. I was trying to think about it today, like how you can enforce that. I think probably, the, I mean, the only way you could do it is to just, not allow any club games during the World Cup. Exactly. Like the, but that's like, obviously... I mean, okay. the fo- Football World Cup does it, right? Because this World Cup starts in September, which is like the beginning of the European season. So it overlaps with ERC and French League and all of that. Whereas the Football World Cup happens June, July, in between the seasons. So if yeah. we had a Rugby World Cup, um, and I don't know if, yeah, if we had it in between like when the URC and when the European season has its break, that would be better for at least the French based players who are the most heavily affected. Yeah, I mean if you had it in these two months and all the all the clubs are sitting down at the moment. I mean it would be a, a big strain on the players because then you'd basically be going, you know, twenty months kind of non stop rugby. Yeah. Um but yeah no I mean apart from doing something like that, it's probably the only thing you can do. And even then clubs might still just to avoid injury risks that are kind of trying to incentivize certain players not to go to the World Cup, you know, to avoid burnout and the risk of losing some of their star players. So, yeah, it's, it's just a messy situation. It's just a bit um, disappointing that that um, is the case. But something that isn't disappointing is the Springbok lineup for this weekend, uh, which dropped this afternoon. It was creating a lot of hot debate in some of our um, our WhatsApp groups with it being labeled um, unironically as the strongest Springbok side available. Andrew, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Uh, uh, well, that was a classic Adam details uh, quip, if you can call it that. I mean, I feel like quip is something that implies some intelligence behind it, which that is not. So, <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a classic Adam blunder. Um, I mean, no, there's, there's a it's lot. It's fine. Of... He won't listen to the podcast to hear about it. You can play him. <laughs> All right. I can shuttle over him. Um, I'm actually going to a pub quiz with him tomorrow. So if he greets me cordially, I know confirmed not a listener. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not the strongest side out there. I mean, it is a strong side and I think all of the selections make rugby sense either from the point of, 
giving players game time who haven't had game time or giving combinations game time or just rotating and seeing what our options are and, and resting players strategically for, you know, the, the last weeks or months going up to the Rugby World Cup. So um, it, it all makes sense to me. It's an exciting team. I think uh, particularly the the halfback pairing, Grant Williams and Marnie Lubbock, I mean, sure, that could really, I mean, there's there's a double-edged sword there for me. Um, I don't want to hop on too long, but yes, it's super exciting to have those two dynamos in, in the decision-making capacities. But if I'm Michael Chick uh, looking at the side, and where are the chinks in the armor? There's two inexperienced players at a test level um, making decisions. If you can pressure them, get under their skin, uh, you can really get an advantage to there. So I think they're up for a huge acid test on Saturday. Especially two players not really renowned for their tactical kicking games. Yeah, sure. Well, do you think that's going to be a, a weakness we might struggle with? Uh, definitely a potential weakness. I mean, uh, up on the high felt there at this time of the year, I think it should be pretty, hopefully, I don't know what the weather's like, but good conditions for some running rugby. But I mean, it's test level. You still need pretty good, um, tactical kicking no matter what the weather. So definitely a potential weak area. But at the same time, I think uh, it's a good chance for Money Lubbock to impose himself on a game which encompasses not just his, you know, exciting running parts. I think his kicking game is not, you know, terrible, I would say. So a potential weakness, but not, um, yeah, it's it's not something which I think is going to get exploited too much. Yeah, but I think it's it's definitely good to see Libok be given the reins. And I think that that's what we're all kind of calling for, that we want to see Libok starting all the games at 10 until Pollard comes back to try and maximize that experience. Um, so I think we're all quite, quite happy with that call. But it is interesting that Grant Williams has given the run. Um, you know, he's now played off the bench in both the tests and now starting this one. You know, Kul Kubis hasn't, you know, he started the first game and hasn't, didn't, hasn't played the second and third. Jaden is, is back in the mix. Um, we'll, I assume we'll probably see him next week. But you know, they obviously see something in, in, in Williams that they, you know, they, they're giving him a lot of game time to try and see if they can probably get him to the to the World Cup, I would imagine. Do you think he's he's well-placed to kind of play that finisher role, um, inject something different in the last 20 minutes? Definitely. Uh, I think there's a strong argument to say he's probably better suited as a, bo- a bench player for the box, uh, if he is going to play at all. Uh, I think him getting a start is really great for his development against an Argentinian side that we should beat, although we haven't seen their team sheet. It's He's an exciting player, probably best to inject energy at the end. Uh, we have four very strong scrum halves in the squad, and I think it would make most sense to only take three to the World Cup. So Jen Hendrickson yeah. was, was the choice scrum off end-of-year tour. Uh, he took over from Faf de Klerk, who has to go to the World Cup, let's be, let's be honest. And then it's a shootout between Grant Williams and Corbis Ryan. Like, do you want to take the next the next big thing um, and take them with for the experience? Or do you want to take Corbis Reinoff, who you know is about as solid a backup scrum off as you can have uh, in world rugby? Like he, um, no, no, no team has a better third choice scrum off than, than Corbis Reinoff. So what do you do? It's, it's, it, it felt like a hot take as you said it, but I don't think I can argue with you. <laughs> I think it's, yeah. it's, it's bizarre that we suddenly have such Depth at nine. You know, I didn't think it was ever going to be a such a strong position for us. Um, uh, I think another place where we've I mean, is Ron Pinar as well. 
also, I mean, he's, he's Smell, Smell, around. Nahamba. Smell on Nahamba was very good uh, for the Lions right. at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, World Cup winner um, Herschel Yankees is floating around the mix as well. Isn't and he's still in the squad, I think. Possibly. He's in the squad, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Yeah. Uh, I I I sort of feel bad for Corbus Reynach. I mean, I'm not his biggest fan, but at the same time, I don't think he's ever like played badly in a Springbok shirt. He always comes on and um, makes pretty positive impact. But it's, I mean, he also played well, I think, in against Australia when he got a bit of a chance. But it seems like he right now he's on the outs and he's like going to struggle to make that uh, spring squad. As Andrew said, we're probably not going to take more than three. So given Grant Williams getting another start here and Puff and Hendrickson being two of the more incumbent places, I, I do feel bad for Reyna for not being uh, yeah, a shoe-in for the squad. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I'm, I'm very glad. I mean, I've always been a big Reyna fan, um, but Probably sharks related, but I think I've, you know, I also just enjoy the speed. Um, but you know, as you say, he's a player that's never really done anything wrong. You know, he got shafted at the 2015 World Cup and he's kind of been always around the Springbok, always around that third choice. And as you say, it's just never been poorly, but also just never been first choice either. Um, so, so he's a, an interesting player. I think maybe in a different generation, he would have like, Made it slightly differently, but um, no, that's that's how it goes sometimes, I suppose. Um, but an, another position where we are seemingly quite stacked in, in talent is is wings. Um, you know, we're getting to see the, the dual pocket dynamite package this weekend, which I think a lot of people are very excited for. I mean, I don't think we've ever had two small colored scrum offs and scrum caps in the same team before at any level, um, apart from like under 16 C's for Bulland. So. It's good. That's going to be a very interesting game. Two very diminutive guys, both very good under high ball despite their diminutive stature. But you know, how do you how do you see the game plan changing um, with that kind of uh, symmetry on the wings? I don't think the game plan will change very much. I think it's an incredibly attacking back three, and it's an attacking halfback combination. So. Uh, if they can get the ball past the fairly questionable centers, then I think we're golden. <laughs> well, we'll touch on the centers in a bit. Um, but yeah. yeah, it is, it is really cool that we have this, this depth at wing growing, as you say. Like at 11, we've got the choice of Kirtley Aronson, Mapimpi, Mapimpi being a proven finisher at test level. Uh, and then at 14, you got Cheson Colby and Kanan Moody, who you know, is is a very differently built wing, but you know, I wouldn't say equally as effective, but still proving to be you know a test level world class wing. So really cool that we've got depth to that extent, and of course at fullback there's Damien Bellamsa versus Vili Larue, and um, I think they're both class options. So our back three depth is looking incredibly healthy at the moment. Really selection poser for the coaches. And ball, ball in hand, it's one of the most exciting back throughs that we can ask for. Um, having old man Vili at the back, also marshalling his troops is always an exciting prospect. Um, and we'll, yeah, we'll see if, if, um, the, like you said, the shorter wings, if it's maybe, even though they are, like you said, they're good under the high ball, maybe Argentina will be 
lulled into trying to test them under, you know, like we saw in New Zealand, uh, different wings on, at least on the left wing on that occasion, but should be interesting to see if Argentina go for the approach of trying to expose the diminutive status of the wings. Yeah. And all I'm going to say is it's, you've got to make sure your kicking's on point. If you've got Colby and Arnsa running back at you off a bad kick, um, your defense is going to have to be very, very tightly connected. Otherwise, they're going to be running straight through holes um, if your kick chase is, is off. So let's hope they, they chase as well as the Australians did against us. Um, what do you think about Vili getting another start ahead of Willem? I mean, obviously, Vili's shown his quality to, and I think really kind of nailed on that, that starting role for the Springboks. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but I think given we're going to assume or hopefully have relegated Damien to either the 15 or the 23 jersey. Um, I think we've hopefully closed his 10 experiment as a starter. Do you think it was worthwhile that he does play a bit at 15 um, you know, and get some experience there? Or do you think we, you know, Vili's the first choice, we're throwing all the bets on that and, and hoping he stays fit? It's an interesting question. Uh, and there's not that much time left to, to give players before the World Cup. So it means you have to be really strategic about these things. And I think given that Damien Willemse allows that 6-2 bench split, I think it's weird that they've gone with him on the bench, but then not gone with the, uh, with that bench option, you know. Um, so to me, it would have made sense. Marnie Lubbock and Damien Willemse have played a lot in that 10-15 combination at the Stormers, which has worked well for them. So it would sort of make sense. Uh, Damien hasn't had a lot of time at fullback. Uh, so I, I would love to see him coming on, getting decent minutes, you know, a good half an hour or so at fullback or potentially at 12. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that Damien Dalland is still there, given, you know, all the pressure from Andrea Esterhazen. But there's also the third option of Damien Willems at 12, which has worked in the past. So, yeah, uh, I do think it's a bit odd. But Vili, Vili is, I mean, he's, he's a proven proven option for us as a, a fullback and he's ticked all the boxes. Uh, he's been, uh, in my opinion, he's been our best backline player over the, the few matches so far. And we're not just saying that to suck up to full. <laughs> yeah, we're exactly. We moved past that sort of level. But it, it is weird that Vili has, uh, this is going to be his third start in three weeks now, especially with the traveling. And Valimsa hasn't had a start at 15. So I think it would have been nice to see Valimsa get a go. Um, but I think uh, having Vili at 15 with the number of changes that they make just does provide a little bit of stability, which they want. Um, and I think like uh, Andrew was alluding to, having Valimsa as that 23 role as in the first choice lineup seems to be the way that they're heading towards and was one of our big questions going into the season. Yeah, I think so. Maybe, maybe, maybe we, I think the, 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 the comment around uh, not making too many changes and especially, you know, that's very young, 9, 10, 11. So maybe having, you know, Billy in the back pocket to kind of pull the strings with you to. I mean, we saw him obviously stepping in to the fly role against New Zealand because Damon Willemse was sitting on the wing or confused or scared or hiding. Um, you know, so I think it, having Vili there to, to just be that that kind of um, safety blanket is a very useful thing. So yeah, maybe next week Marnie will have his you know third start in four games. You can bring Willemse on at 15 if somebody faces you. So um, 
But the, something I did here today is that the reason Jesse Creel didn't play the first two games was he was serving a suspension from the French League. Um, so that explains at least why he wasn't playing against New Zealand. Don't know the truth behind that, but interesting. I mean, Damien and Jesse obviously played a lot of rugby together. Obviously, still first forming their combinations back in the 2015 World Cup. Um, but yeah, both kind of the the less exciting centres out of the options we have. Um, yeah, I think it's it's obviously good that Jesse gets a run. You know, we need to see what he can do before the World Cup. Um, and and with I'm on the bench, you know, he'll still get a fair share of minutes and kind of hopefully keep working his way back to form. But I think the comment around not playing Esther is is, is also an interesting one. Did, did you say Jesse's serving suspension from the French league? Japanese league, sorry. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, has he ever played in France? <laughs> um, it's uh, <laughs> no, they actually they, they gave um they gave Johnny Sexton's band to just a random <laughs> generic white face. But why send Jesse him over to New Zealand? Ball. Yeah, strange. Anyway, go Andrew. Maybe they just need an extra body to train with. Maybe he's the most Rico player. You know, he's a physical specimen but can't actually play rugby that well. Yeah, he um he maybe didn't register his firearms before travelling. Um. He, that's a, a combination which, I mean, has been tried and tested, fair enough. Uh, it's I don't understand the inclusion of Lucanio Am on the bench if the if the reason for dropping him is to give him a rest. Like, give him a rest. Bring in Andre Esterhazen on the bench then. Or um, someone else, like play a 6-2 and let Evan Roos get a run. Like, it's a weird, it's a weird decision in the centres for me. Jesse, Jesse, I mean, he probably needed a run. He's been with the squad for weeks now, just carrying tackle bags. Um, I won't use that same justification to let Elton Yankees play next week, but it's it's not a it's not a centre combination that makes me feel very comfortable. Um, I think it was the centre combination that lost to Japan uh, in that Brighton massacre. Um, I might be wrong. They was Jean de Villiers not starting, or is he still injured already at that point? I think it was that combo, but someone could fact check me while while I'm rambling. But I mean, Damien Allender, we know what he's going to do. He's going to try to take it up um, and get us some meters, and he probably will. Uh, that's what he does, and he won't do too much more. Jesse will probably be fine. He'll be like average on attack, average on defense, and won't let too much through. That tends to be high players. He's like quite a safe player. He's not going to explode. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It felt like a a lost opportunity to experiment a bit. Um, but I'm expecting, you know, we're saying all these players like like Esther Hazen, like Evan Ruiz, um I think they're going to get a run next week against Argentina away. I think it's going to be a bit more of a experimental tinkering type team next week. This, this week, I think they're they're going for a win uh, just to make sure we don't come last in the, in the rugby championship. But uh, we'll, yeah, we'll see how, how it pans out next week. Um, this week, the centres is the only thing that's really got me a little bit humdrum about the back line. Otherwise, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah, I, I think um, they were with the centres, they were sort of um, trying to do both. Like they wanted to give um more game time as well because he's hasn't been playing as much this season, but then they haven't been able to give Krill any game time at all. So... They've sort of half-halfed it with starting Krill and having Am on the bench still. But I, I agree with you. It's like rather go 6-2 split or 
a different way. And for Damien, you know, D- Damien Dierlinda, he, it seems like he also just needs more game time. He's one of the players we haven't seen too much of. And hopefully this game will show his, or be able to sort of almost play himself into some better form. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's quite a few players that are working their way back into it. So hopefully, as you say, this, this gives them that opportunity. Um, something we haven't really spoken about yet, and maybe it's because we plan to take it for granted now, the forward pack. Anything particularly interesting there? I mean, I think the, probably the biggest talking points, we've gone back to the same loose trio that started against Australia. Um, we've got, you know, suddenly inspiration, little an old ball player, Marlon Ori at five. Um, and Marks is getting a, a somewhat rare start these days um, at the number two jersey. Um, what do you make of those kind of changes? Uh, quite exciting. I mean, the forward pack is looking very, very strong. Um, bringing Markov and Starden back, uh, and Dwayne back is, uh, strengthened the loose trio, I would definitely say. Um, Ori is still one of those players who may or may not go to the Rugby World Cup. So he's getting, you know, his last few opportunities to prove his worth for the team, especially with you know, Jean Klein emerging as an option. Uh, and Afka and Luit and, and Etsy Beth already pretty much nailed on. So that's an interesting one. And then, um, is it not time that France Malhova got a rest? I mean, it started like 12 tests in a row or something like that. Like, can he? No, and, and him and Kitsov both obviously started against Australia, flew to New Zealand, flew back again. Yeah. Um, like it, it, we've, we've played a lot of different props off the bench. Um, but, we haven't really seen what they can do in a starting jersey. I thought that was interesting that they haven't rotated the props more. Maybe bringing Kitsoff and Malhova on from the, bo- the bomb squad would be more sensible. I don't know. And I feel like Malhova's always been starting prop, but Kitsoff obviously can bring that, that value from the bench. I mean, they've brought Bomb, I mean, Trevor onto the bench. Um, so he's going to get his first play in the Springboard jersey for a while. Um, also, well, I suppose I mean he was the, the starting loose head before sorry, it was he was the starting tight head before kind of Ox well with Ox. You know, we had the the top deck um front row against the Lions. Um so yeah, I think it's it'll be I, I definitely think the the props are worth a, a rotation. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm I would have been quite keen to have seen Etzbeth and, and Klein or Snammer and Klein get a start together. Yeah, uh, I think those are all potentially options for next week. I'll, I'd be very surprised if we see a similar team next week. You know, the likes of Trevor Yakane, Thomas Detoy, um, maybe even Joseph Dweber, as much as we love to hate him, like he needs time on the field to try and, you know, get in those test match situations. So for this match, I mean, it's very strong to have kits off marks and Malherbal is like a, yeah, that that would scare anyone. Um, but I'm hoping next week we we share the love a bit. It's yeah, interesting because be- I mean this is obviously going to be the easier game playing at home. This is next week we will be away. It will be interesting to see if they decide to just not send some of the big guns, especially like you were saying, guys like Mahoba and Kitschop, who have played every single or started every single game. If they decide to leave players at home and then, or, you know, because after that it's heading to Europe. So maybe 
they won't want to get everyone to Argentina just for that one week. So interesting to see the squad that goes over. But um, I think from the forward pack, just from me, I think it, even though, like you guys said, there's still time for things to happen, it does speak quite positively to Finstaden and also Ori's chances of making that final squad. It seems like based on that first game, they put their best foot forward. So they've done quite a bit to give themselves the best chance of making the final squad. And if they have another good game today, I mean, Saturday, not today. Um, they'll, yeah, they'll be almost, almost there. Phil, you, yeah. sorry, I'll, I'll, yeah. I was going to change the topic again. Do you want to say something? No, it's perfect timing. Um, I was going to say, Phil, you went to watch Oppenheimer earlier. What's, what's your opinion on the bomb squad? <laughs> yeah, the, like you guys are saying, it's a pretty strong overall 23. And I think that includes the, the bench here, right? So having, um, like it's been last week with Echia coming off the bench, he's always going to provide a massive impact. But um, having the strength and depth to have Faf, Lukanya, um, Willemsa, all of those guys coming on, I think it's going to be quite a, a positive um, plus point for the Springboks, especially over Argentina, who I think generally have a stronger starting lineup, but their bench is not always as strong. Yeah, I got uh, dragged off to watch Barbie this past week, so it's uh, <laughs> interesting to see Faf de Klerk uh, on the bench in that <laughs> in that instance. I, I don't think he's played that many games off the bench for the Springboks. Did you uh, did you enjoy Barbie more than you enjoyed Faf's performance on the weekend? Um, I enjoyed Margot Robbie in Barbie, and I enjoyed uh, some of the the very thinly veiled uh, social commentary. It's definitely not like a movie, happy-go-lucky movie for kids. It's uh... Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. <laughs> I mean, it's at least a throwback to the original days. You know, we haven't spoken about Friends <laughs> in a year. Um, but no, it, it does, it does show, show some of the relationship dynamics. Andrew went off to see Barbie, and I went off to see Oppenheimer. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... But maybe that's you know one of the side effects of dating a scientist. Um, but I think that just about wraps up our, our commentary for the Springbok game. I don't know if we want to focus on the Argentinian most likely lineup there. I mean, you know, I think well, it's probably most likely to be much of the same. You know, we'll see physical Austria. I think Kramer's still got a couple of weeks in his suspension for an attempted murder in the French league. But you know, between um, Gonzalez, uh, Bruni, and, and Matera, they've got some big guns there. The front five is a little bit weaker than I think it has been in the past. I mean, those don't seem to be fully firing. And in the back line, I mean, apart from Buffeli, it's a lot of names that I'm not super familiar with. I, I'm, I will be honest. It seems like there's been a changing in the guard and some of the players and it's, you know, some of the kind of more fringe players, you know. Um, you know, you think guys like from the seventh circuit being included and things like that. Um, so, but then again, this team didn't beat Australia in Australia, so you know, I don't think we can take this game for granted. No, and that's, I think, why we've picked such a strong side this weekend, uh, given that this is part of the rugby championship. You know, next week is it's just a friendly and inverted commas, so it's a warm-up game for the World Cup. So I think we need to we need to win this one and win this one well if we can. Get a mental edge over Argentina before we send a, a B-plus team over there to play. Uh, I don't. I can't say much about 
how I expect their team to line up. I think they'll probably play, be similar to us and play a near full strength team. Maybe rotate a few options here and there, but I think they'll they'll try and go for a win in the rugby championship as well. And they're not a team to be taken lightly. They can definitely beat us on their day. Uh, if we have a really bad day and they have a really good day, I mean, they've done it before. Uh, but I'd be surprised on the high felt with this team if uh, the Springboks lose by you know, any margin, but even win by less than seven. Yeah, I think that that'd be... Okay, sorry. So Andrew's saying Springboks by, by at least seven. Is that is that what you said? <laughs> um, oh, I'd, I'd be disappointed with that margin. I think I would predict Springboks by about fifteen. Okay, I uh, yeah, I think by fifteen would be good. I think my prediction would be closer to ten. I'll say eleven. Springboks by eleven. Cool. I think I'll take the average of that and say thirteen. <laughs> I think we're. Obviously, all predicting a, a comfortable Springbok win, uh, which would be the hope. Um, at least, at least a comfortable one. If we you know, can get a, another Aussie-esque, I'd be very happy with that. Obviously, um, the game on the weekend in the rugby championship. Obviously, Australia hosting New Zealand. Uh, last time they played there, we had the famous Matthew Renal incident. Um, Ren with the Bernard Foley not kicking the ball out on time. Um, just to, nice to jog those memories. Loved it. Um, Eddie Jones has obviously been playing his mind game, suggesting that uh, New Zealand need to watch out, that you know, the Aussies have something ready for them, that the New Zealanders haven't been tested under pressure yet, um, and the Aussies will bring that pressure, apparently. Um, they've obviously they've been hiding it somewhere for the last two games. Um, but you know, do, you think, do you think the Aussies have a chance? Is there... Who's going to play for the Aussies this weekend? They obviously kicked Tom Wright back to club rugby um, after the two underwhelming performances. Does that mean Callaway starts? It's all very interesting. What is going to happen? Well, the last time Australia won the Bledisloe Cup was 2002 when Eddie Jones was the coach, um, which says two things potentially, just that like that's how bad Australia have been in the last 20 years. Um, but also, I guess Eddie Jones, in his distant memory, knows how to beat New Zealand. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I can't see Australia getting anywhere close. Wasn't Eddie Jones also the coach that lost the Bledisloe, and they've never had it back? Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's so. another way to look at it. Yeah, I think the worst thing for Australia so far in these two games is like we've sort of called on these weaknesses, you know, whether it was Winnie Valu in that first test or even Tom Wright in, in the last couple, like said, this is not the way to go or play him in a different position if you're going to play him or, you know, so it's, it's things which they could have seen coming maybe, and they still haven't got right. And yeah, obviously if you can talk a big game and say you have a plan to beat the All Blacks, it's all well and good. But uh, to be honest, I can't see anything but a relatively comfortable uh New Zealand win. Do you see uh, um, Eddie Jones calling someone a smart ass? What's more likely? Eddie Jones calling someone a, a smart ass after the game or Australia winning? <laughs> I think uh, by quite a large magnitude, the, the former. <laughs> You'd have to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, would love, I would love Eddie Jones to try something 
ridiculous like Carter Gordon starting against the All Blacks or just something to to change up the tempo and the, the attitude in that in that squad because it, it, they've just been a bit, a bit dismal. Dismal. It's like not <laughs> not great, and something needs to change quickly for things to start looking up. Otherwise, they're going to go into the World Cup with zero momentum. Well, I mean, it's New Zealand home, New Zealand away, and France away, so it's kind of probably one of the toughest lead-ins you can get. Yeah. Um, wow. But, but yeah, I don't think I don't think many people would be putting much of their money on on the Wallabies for this weekend, unfortunately. I mean, and, and if anything, a Wallaby win probably helps the All Blacks at the World Cup, makes them more formidable. So, um, I mean, from that reason alone, I think it's probably useful to hope the all Blacks have a dominant win and get complacent. <laughs> yeah, I hope that happens. Uh, All Blacks by 20. Yeah, I, I, I'd go with that. I think they, they have um, Anton Leonard Brown back from a suspension. He got suspended in, at the end of Super Rugby. So be interesting to see. Their centers, I think, have had two really good games. So if they break up that Geordie Rico partnership, or I, I doubt that they will. If they're playing their full strength, unless they rotate a bit, but um, yeah, other than that, I think we'll see very few changes. But I agree, All Blacks by fifteen to twenty. I'll go twenty as well. Okay, um, I'm going to say Wallabies by three because I trust in Eddie Jones. No, I'm kidding. All Blacks by twenty-five. <laughs> I thought you were going to take the average of your Wallabies by three and our two twenties. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the Jones gospel has kind of run its course now. Like, I think if this was the first game of the rugby championship, I would have been tempted to be like, oh, Magic Eddie's going to do something magical. And you know what? He might still. Like, he might, just as Rusty did, have targeted this all best game, and he's been staffing around against us in Argentina so that he can put out all of his secret moves against the all backs. And I think the likelihood of that being Eddie's back pocket stuff, I think is, is not so likely anymore. I think that the kind of, as I said, that aura around Eddie being a magician is, is waiting, waiting. Yeah. Fair bit. At some point you've got to have results to back up your chat and it's just not happening for him. No, exactly. I mean, it doesn't help that he's coaching Australia, but you know, it makes it very difficult to back up your chat, um, but that is the case. Um, cool. I think that that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. Then, I mean, I think we're all very excited for Saturday. Get another a box game under the belt, and that's one week close to the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, happy to wrap it up there. Uh, thanks for joining, guys, and have a good evening. Cheers. Enjoyed on Saturday.